You're hearing the Echoes Podcast, and I'm John DiLiberto. Today I've got an electronic artist from the wilderness of Oregon and an overlooked but brilliant band from the progressive rock era. Emancipator is the performance name of Doug Appling, and he uses it to create a propulsive world fusion version of electronic music. I talked with him in quarantine from his Oregon mountain home. Then we're going to go back to a feature with the progressive rock band Jade Warrior. They recorded in their core time from 1971 to 1989, but between 74 and 78, they released a quartet of albums that pushed the envelope of instrumental progressive rock. I talked to the band in the 1980s, and we'll hear a sound profile of them that will make you think, how did I miss this? Don't worry, a lot of people did, but not people like Stevie Winwood and Brian Eno. If you need music like this to raise you above the chaos, we have it on Echoes. Echoes Online is our streaming subscription service where you can stream two-hour Echoes programs on demand. And we put out 10 hours of programming every week, as well as exclusive online-only Echoes streams. And you can do it with your mobile device via the free Echoes app, which you should definitely have by now. Right now, we're offering a special corona rate for those suffering the economic and psychological calamity of the pandemic. Go to echoes.org and find out about Echoes Online. Right now, let's get emancipated with Emancipator. Emancipator is the performance vehicle of Doug Appling. He's been recording electronic music under that persona since he was a student at the College of William and Mary in 2006. He went there for a degree in psychology and now he creates psychotropic soundscapes. Like everyone in the country, Doug Appling is under quarantine, but isolation isn't unusual for him living near Mount Hood in Oregon. It hasn't changed much here up on uh, the mountain. I live in the woods, and um, yeah, quarantine is business as usual. Got this this raised deck and a 360-degree view of the forest. It's kind of carved out in uh, some cottonwoods and alders, and it's about 10 minutes from the river feel very lucky to just be living here right in the middle of nature. Our sketchy Skype connection is evidence of how far he is from things. It's an interesting place to be for a musician whose music is born in technology. <laughs> yeah, the studio is, um, it's like a little oasis of electronics in the middle of the woods with lots of blinking lights and uh, that's where I spend most of my time.
through our blurry Skype connection, I can see Doug Applin's brown hair and beard have gotten longer, but he still has boyish looks with a distracted smile. From Emancipator's music, you might think that Doug Applin was a child of EDM and ambient electronic music, but there's an organic quality to his sound, especially on his latest album, Mountain of Memory. Some of that comes right from where he lives and recorded the album. Listen close, and nature sounds come through. Yes, I do that um, a lot. Um, lately, ever since I moved up to this land here, a few times recently I'll be working on a track and I'll hear a bird call and I'll have to go run outside and record that bird, go track it down, get a recording, and then, you know, just two minutes later, it's in it's in the track. And uh, that's pretty fun. Did that happen on Blue Dream? <laughs> yes, you, you got it. That was, that was um, around four or five in the morning. I remember one of the first recordings... I made here up at my new studio. Um, it's a good ear. You heard that. I like putting them at the at the end of the song because it's kind of a sense of release um, and just relaxation and kind of brings you back down to earth from a from a place wherever the song took you. It's kind of grounding to hear um, the beautiful sounds of the, some birds. Born in 1987, Doug Appling had socially conscious and musical parents. His mother played piano and worked for the Peace Corps in Africa and brought home some of those sounds. Well, we also had kalimbas around the house, and that's also one of my first instruments, and that kind of started my affinity for plucky sounds. Right now in my studio, there's at least a dozen kalimbas and imbiras just scattered around every surface. Um... It's just kind of one of my favorite instruments to have around. His father dabbled in making dulcimers. He did at one point. That used to be a hobby of his. Uh, and dulcimer was one of my first instruments. He had he had a bunch hanging up around the house on the walls. I just recorded some. Um, some rosewood dulcimer, mountain dulcimer on a track the other day. That's kind of like our roots in Virginia. Um, we're influenced by that sound. Appling also adds banjo into the mix, and for an electronic musician, he can get down with the hoedown on the track Chiefin. I think what uh, defines that sound is the banjo. All three of those tracks I recorded banjo on, and there's something that's just defining about the banjo that takes you to a certain place, that Wild West hoedown sound. Curiously, its title has a slang expression for weed usage. Chiefin? Oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't see anything um, about weed and banjos that can't get along. Ironically, Appling's father also turned him on to electronic music. He's been following electronic music since the very beginning. Uh, he exposed me to, to bands like Orbital back in the day and uh, 3D Corporation. I know they're kind of contemporary. 
Um, but bands like Orbital, I mean, that was uh, pretty old school for my time. All of this comes together in the music of Emancipator. There's also a world music element to Emancipator. He has all kinds of exotic strings. I like to pluck around on the banjo and a mandolin and a banjo guitar and uh, some world folk instruments like the electric saws and uh, the, the sanxian, which is the Chinese banjo that has appeared on a few songs. He also employs the Indian bowed instrument called the dilruba. I just I love the texture of the the dilruba, the sound of all those strings, and the, the sympathetic resonance of the the additional strings has almost a metallic and definitely a very emotional kind of yearning sound to it, and adds a slight bit of dissonance to some of the cleaner sounds and scales that that we are usually recorded with. It's emancipated violinist Ilya Goldberg who plays the instrument. Even before I had Dilruba, there's been several times when I was like, oh, I wish I could just imitate that sound on my classical violin. So I definitely tried. Uh, and perhaps sometimes it comes out uh, in certain tracks like Awakenings and trying to bring them closer to each other. All of these elements feed into the concept of Mountain of Memory, something of a Joseph Campbell hero's journey. For me, it's the vibe of um, being at the top of a mountain, like above the clouds. And there is a loose narrative to the album. Um, involves the hero's journey towards enlightenment. Um, so if you think about the first track, Alligator, starting in the swamp, the hero goes through the labyrinth, and then by the end of the album, he's kind of above the clouds and that's Himalayan. Doug Appling's psychology degree didn't go completely to waste. He says it informs the way he thinks about music and how it will affect the listener. My approach to making music involves combining a lot of different elements um, that will kind of stimulate different parts of the brain at once. Um, and a fusion of musical styles will kind of do that. Like one sound might make you have a memory of a, a certain vibe or a certain genre. 
um, where the drums might make you move in a certain way and then a certain melody might activate a different part of the brain. So just kind of getting a bunch of different parts that might not go together, um, kind of working in synchronicity in a new, interesting way. That's kind of my been my approach to music making. above the cloud or circumnavigate your mind with Emancipator's Mountain of Memory, out now on his own Lokai label, which also has released from great albums by Tor, Lapa, and Edamame. Emancipator's latest album is Mountain of Memory, and you can add that to your collection. I'll have a link to it in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. Recently, you've probably gotten roped into this Facebook thing where you're nominated to post your 10 or 20 most influential or favorite albums. I usually ignore these, but I took up this one going with one influential album per day. I'm in the midst of it as we speak. I've gotten a lot of reaction, which is nice, but the most intriguing one so far for people is my third choice. I actually cheated and listed a quartet of albums by the 70s progressive rock group Jade Warrior. You don't know them? A lot of people missed out on this instrumental progressive world fusion group. Before Peter Gabriel moved from drum machines to Senegalese drummers, and when Andreas Fullenweider was doing music for poetry readings, Jade Warrior was orchestrating a world fusion built up from a host of exotic instruments and a frightening amount of overdubs. Initially a power trio with arty pretensions, guitarist Tony Duig and flutist percussionist John Field reinvented themselves in 1974 with the first of a quartet of albums for Island Records, Floating World, Waves, Kites, and Way of the Sun. Back in 1985, we interviewed Jade Warrior for the radio series Totally Wired, and it remains one of my favorite and most memorable interviews ever. Tony Duig died five years later in 1990, and despite a few attempts by John Field to keep the name going, Jade Warrior has effectively stopped, gone and nearly forgotten. And that is just wrong, and you'll find out why when Kimberly Haas takes us back to the glory days of Jade Warrior. In 1985, we visited Jade Warrior at Tony Duig's home, a 15th-century thatch-roof cottage in the rolling hills in the west of England. We crowded into his backyard studio, which looked like a gypsy wagon without wheels. Wind howled through its planks and whistled amongst a clutter of gongs, flutes, kungas, guitars, synthesizers, and recording equipment. You hear the wind howling? The setting was quite a contrast to the pristine and exotic music Jade Warrior had been creating in the 1970s and 80s. From the beginning, they had an obsessive interest in the cultures of Japan and Asia and the paradoxes of Zen. They take their name from Japanese samurai, John Field. We don't play Japanese music. We're both very influenced by different aspects of Japan, especially with me. But my interest is more visually and in the myths and legends and, and so I find, uh, and the poetry, I like that very much. 
It was Japanese swordsmanship that inspired Tony Dewey. Lots of moments in our albums since then have been used to illustrate that moment, the difference between the poised sword versus the actual sword stroke. So I think in that moment you have the completely calm plateau, ideally, of before the stroke versus the intense violence of the stroke. Ideal sword play in that instance would be completely selfless chord stroke, complete, utter dissolving of the self. Then the stroke itself is undeniably a physical thing. You can tell from that bit of guitar aggression that Jade Warrior started out as a rock band. John Field remembered meeting Tony Dewey. When I met him, uh, was we were, were I didn't play anything, but had a great bunch of jazz records. He played uh, three chords on certain shadows numbers and wasn't in a band. And we were forklift truck drivers when I first met him in a factory. And what happened was that we used to get together and, and Tony used to play his guitar and I used to bang around on bits of wood until I got a conga drum. Just doing our own music, which was nothing at all like the pop music of the day. They recorded as a psychedelic group called July and then formed Jade Warrior. They put out three albums in the very early 1970s and were primarily a power trio with vocals. But they were already showing signs of their more mature sound. Jade Warrior were dropped from their label and ready to call it quits when Steve Winwood suggested that Chris Blackwell sign them to his Island Records label. It was the home to Bob Marley, Brian Eno, and King Crimson. Jade Warrior dropped the singer and in the spirit of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, transformed themselves into a studio orchestra. They recorded their quartet of signature albums, which began with 1974's Floating World and ended with Way of the Sun in 1978. There were no computers for music. Instead, they used the tape recorder as another instrument. It's very plastic medium, tape, and we that's our business, and we like to use it in that way. Speeding up, slowing down, slowing down what after you've hit a gong. or mm. We so always made it our business to use the studio to the full. Mm. We're not advertising a band playing live. You've We're got to do what music. we do when there was only two of us, you see. Otherwise, right. it'd just be one guitar and one flute. Yeah. Well, that's nice, but... <laughs> you know. It's a bit wearing on the fifth yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So we do 28 flutes and 15 mm. guitars. He isn't joking. Jade Warrior records are like symphonies for electric guitars, flutes and percussion. No, on Way of the Sun, for example, on the title track, Way of the Sun, um, da, da, de, da, de, da, de, da, that was played on, it was 12, wasn't it, John? We, it was six parts and two guitars to each part. So it was quite literally 12 guitars playing the tune. 
Jade Warrior went to exorbitant lengths to get the sounds they wanted, like having engineer Mick Glossop record Tony Duick's guitar outside in a field. Poor old Mick Glossop. Had to cart those speakers miles, you know. Mm. I had a little pig nose this. strap around my belt. I was standing <laughs> in the middle of a field like this in, in night time, wasn't it? Yeah. Trying to, night... try not to be frozen cold, doing something on waves, you know. I was, yeah. waiting, I was in this sea thing. The bloody wind was happening. Not because we wanted any technical thing, yeah. but because we yeah. were after that sound. It's that kind of attention to detail that attracted record entrepreneur Chris Blackwell. I loved them. I loved, I loved the... Uh, perspective they got in their music. They would have things very quiet sounding, you know, like it was coming over the mountain in the distance. And I loved, I loved their music. and studio gymnastics made them sound like an electric orchestra. What they actually wanted was a real orchestra and hundred-voice choir to perform Duick's symphonic fantasy that he called the epic. In the meantime, they just did it themselves. Tony Duick, speaking in 1985. What we really need is an 80-piece orchestra made up of me and him, cloned. That would be the happiest, but I want to do it. I want something to say and I want to say it. So I will have an orchestra, lovely, but I want to be the orchestra as well, if possible. But I know I can't be, so the second best is I'll have the orchestra. Well, worse than that, we haven't got the orchestra. <laughs> yeah, worse than that. <laughs> Jade Warrior never got the orchestra. After their glorious Asian quartet, they released a couple of albums, and then Tony Duig passed away suddenly from a heart attack in 1990. Those four CDs, Floating World, Waves, Kites, and Way of the Sun, were recently reissued. For Echoes, I'm Kimberly Haas. Oh man, this music takes me back to such a great time and still sounds so resonant today, Jade Warrior. I still miss Tony Duig, who once again passed away in 1990. Unfortunately, as far as I can tell, all this music is out of print. There was a double CD that collected all four albums called Elements, but they totally botched the mastering. It's out on Spotify, but I'd stay away from it. John Field, the last remaining member, has promised a new album for a decade now, but there's nothing in sight. I listed their quartet of albums as among my 20 most influential recordings. You can check it out on my Facebook page daily. On the next Echoes podcast, we talk to Taimani, the queen of the ukulele, who takes the instrument in virtuosic and adventurous places.
Thanks for dialing up the Echoes podcast. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or online right now on Echoes. Echoes.